same night as Captain America once again becomes Steve Rogers, he recalls his deadliest enemy many years ago. And as he tries to sleep, he cannot forget the most hated, the most fiendish face of all, the Red Skull. You fool! The final battle has not been fought! The fruits of victory shall be mine! Hey there, and welcome to Marvel by the Month. My name's Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Bell. And uh, Rob, I think maybe we should call this one uh, Atlas by the Month, um, because we <laughs> are, we're taking a trip back in time. Um, so this is a, a little uh, side story, uh, a little bonus episode that we're doing. Um, we're going to be focusing on uh, the 1950s Marvel superhero revival. Um, so in the 50s, uh, Atlas Comics tried to bring back some of their uh, successful 1940s superheroes um, and basically jumpstart the what would eventually be the Marvel Age of Comics, um, and it didn't really take. Um, and uh, we have a guest joining us uh, who's the person who suggested this in the first place um, and is much more knowledgeable about all this stuff than we are. Uh, so please welcome back to the podcast, uh, Mr. Joe Keating. Hello, guys. Hey, Good to be back. How's it going, I'm Joe? Very- it's going great. <laughs> nice. The strange time of quarantine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's great to finally talk with you guys about these comics. Because as I recall, I think I even pitched this before you guys asked me to go on the show at Rose City Comic Con. Yeah, I think you did. Our yeah. first very met, first conversation. Yeah. You guys were like, oh, yeah, we do a podcast about old Marvel comics. Was like, oh, we got to talk about the 50s stuff. <laughs> uh, because I had kind of been like i've always been fascinated in the history of the creators but over the last several years i've been doing a lot of deep dive reading into the publishing world of time in and out of comics mm-hmm. and martin goodman and that whole world and the context of these comics gets really interesting once you put all of that together um because it kind of leads me into a thesis i have about that may be too highfalutin of a term <laughs> but of fantastic four as the first Marvel reboot. Oh. But I think we'll get to that as we talk about these comics. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Uh, well, let's, let's go ahead and, and set the stage a little bit. So, um, so in the 1940s, uh, Marvel did have several superheroes. Um, superheroes were pretty big at the time um, during World War II. And uh, so once you uh, lay a little groundwork for, you know, how they got going and, um, you know, and, and who was a major character uh in the marvel comics of the 40s well the biggest character i would say in marvel comics of the 40s is martin goodman who's the <laughs> publisher <laughs> behind you know what was i mean timely then marvel then kind of atlas um and i say kind of atlas because atlas was technically the distributor but the publishing world was real wild back in the 30s through the 40s and the 50s i mean honestly it probably still is but at this point in time, like there's a Martin Goodman quote where he just says the field is full of pirates. And you're like, ha ah. <laughs> But then the more you dive into it, I mean, mob money and then people whose publishers will go out of business and then they'll start a new company and that company will buy the old stuff for a dime so they don't have to pay anybody. So Goodman's money really a lot of became he was a magazine publisher. Comics were a small part of that's why it's the world's greatest comic magazine. You know, one of the comics we're, today we're going to talk a lot about it's called Young Men, which was sort of an offshoot of of Men, which was one of the major men's magazines that Goodman published and made 
the vast majority of the money, I mean, really from, uh, I would say, the post-pulp era, mm-hmm. really until the 70s. And he had a whole line. There was, I know there's men, for men only, tell me if you see a pattern, male, <laughs> uh, I'm a little bit out of list here, man's world, uh-huh. uh, adventure life, battlefield, true action, Ken for men, uh, sportsman, <laughs> and my favorite, stag. Nice. And so, <laughs> yep. you know, and it, these magazines, if you've not read them, are the most wild things you could get your hands on. And it's funny reading these, especially young men, because you can tell it's a primer, like a gateway drug to these really salacious men's magazines. There's just, and there's nothing like these magazines being done today. If you're interested, if you, if you finish this podcast and want to read more, there's a couple of books I'd highly recommend. One's called Men's Adventure Magazines by Tashin, mm-hmm. the art book publisher. Oh, yeah, Tashin, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another one called It's a Man's World. And uh, there's a, a line of Men's Adventure Magazine, like collecting actual, because those two books collect a lot of the art and have a lot of history. But there's a publisher named New Texture who does a line of like actually collecting the stories. You actually read the stories that were in there. Um, <laughs> and then I, one of the best resources to go to if you get really into this is Fanagraphics published a book by Blake Bell called The Secret History of Marvel Comics. Oh, nice. And that really, I mean, that's one of the best books to get into deep diving of that. Not to be confused Marvel the Untold Story. It, it kind of covers a section of Marvel history, even Sean Howe's book really kind of skims over. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. At least comparatively so. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, Marvel the Untold Story by Sean Howe's a great book. But it's wild. I mean, Goodman was notorious for he, you know, he, I, uh, art, like he commissioned an artist to draw something and then use it as a cover three or four times in the <laughs> interior thing. Or he, he'd buy a story once and then file off the serial numbers, like change the names and some of the context, and then it would appear in a magazine. Wow. Over over. Are you telling me that the comic book industry may at some times have been exploitative to the people who were creating comic books? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I have stunned, again, sir. you know, comics <laughs> has a well-deserved bad rap for that in yeah. some ways. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it, I mean, this is not a justification. It's just the contextual. That's what, you know, especially this sector of magazine publishing was like. I mean, I don't know if it applied to the classy mags like Esquire or, you know, Harper's or, you know, Saturday Evening Post or whatever. Sure. Um, that I'm not as knowledgeable about. And so when you think of these are the, those magazines I talked about, especially like Men and Stag, those are the big marquee books. Hmm. Um, and what's the kind of content in Men and Stag? So, uh, <laughs> I guess familiar with Earl Norum. The painter? No. Okay, so he, Earl Norum, the painter, is one of the guys, like, if you see any, like, painted Masters of the Universe stuff, Earl Norum, most oh, okay. likely. Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. If you see anything that looks like those for Conan, that's Earl Norum. So a lot of it was, like, that kind of painted, salacious-looking art. I mean, the gross term for these books were sweat mags. They weren't really <laughs> pornographic, per se. Right, right. But they would have stories about, like, you know, war and, and boxing. And um, I was on an island and I got captured by the locals. And then, like, I escaped from this torture chamber. Lots of Nazi stuff. And this is like the 50s and 60s. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. You can get whole art books about, uh, you know, Nazi or especially motorcycle gang stuff, like the Hell's Angels started appearing. Oh, so, really, just yeah. the latest stories that were touted as real. Which the more research I do, the more I'm like, oh, okay, this is all, <laughs> all BS. All right, right. Yeah. Yeah. 
But it's crazy because especially the Goodman stuff, there's a lot of art by guys that we know that we just, I, I mean, I had never seen before. You know, yeah. I mean, the Blake Bell book when it has a section of the history, a section of the art profiles. The first artist they profile is Jack Kirby. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of that stuff in there. So, I mean, it was like just trying to be as salacious as possible, mm-hmm. uh, as taboo as possible as you could get, you know, in that very strange political era. Yeah, that was the focus and not to jump ahead too much. But, you know, so when Fantastic Four came out, Marvel Comics, because Marvel Comics, as you Oh, gentlemen, both are well aware. I'm sure most of the readers are aware. That has existed since 1939. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So there's Marvel Comics, Marvel Mystery Comics. And then they even had the Marvel Comics logo. I mean, it was a weird, it was a gold leaf logo. It had the gold leaf in the center and it said Marvel Comics. That was on a bunch of books until, I think, through 1949. And then through the 50s, it became Atlas because that was Goodman's distributor. Right. And distributors logos were on the cover of books but also like like if a publisher was going out of business mm-hmm. and they had some intellectual property they would start a new publisher which would buy the company's other company's stuff on a dime so they would get out of the debt that was owed to the original publisher <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff like that loophole yeah well because yeah. yeah. i mean you know as a lay layman I'd be like, wait, what? So there was like five different publishers in Marvel Comics? Like, what is going on? Yeah. Um, and then you dig in it and you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> right, right. Um, and it's, again, it's a really fascinating period of time. And the subject matter was to match. And it's interesting because, you know, I referred to young men as the gateway drug to men. Because if you look at young men four through uh, 23, Mm-hmm. It's all 24. It's like, oh, there's like a boxing story and there's a war story and there's a hot rod racing story. Right. Like, and by the way, notice I said four because the first three issues weren't young men. There were cowboy romance and it was like a photo cover <laughs> of a cowboy and a lady. And then it was all cowboy romance stuff. I believe it had to do with how the newsstands would stalk you. And uh, so, I mean, like, for instance, there was no Thor number one in the 60s. It was a journey in the mystery. Right, right. Mm-hmm. It was a journey. And so it was the same thing where it was like, oh, okay, well. Which is funny because now everyone reboots at number one all the time. Yeah, but yeah. back then it was better for you to have a higher number. Yeah, because like think, news, yeah, I, newsstands wouldn't stock you if you were putting out a number one, right? Because it, it looked like uh, you had no track record and they couldn't base anything, you know, like any sales predictions on you know on a book that was just starting over. And wasn't right. there something also around like uh, with the post office you had to. Um, like you had you had to pay so much money for you know a periodical license or something like that, and so if you if you change the name of a book to something else, then you didn't have to buy another license to distribute it or something like that. I remember that was like well, one of the urban legends or something. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, the the the, the key to just keep in mind is that everything was a big scam. Essentially, <laughs> right, you know, just everything. <laughs> I mean, Goodman didn't hide the fact he didn't think quality mattered. He didn't yeah. think anyone cared. Which is funny because I would argue that he actually ended up publishing some of the greatest comics. You know, this this groundbreaking comics. Mm-hmm. You know, at least of the the, the 60s, because that's all Goodman cared about. That's all Goodman cared about. And you know, look, he was a magazine publisher. That's what he should care about. Yep selling magazines yeah yeah he was in the volume business i mean books that were published with the atlas seal on it in the 50s i mean there were just dozens and dozens of titles they were putting out every single month um oh yeah yeah so you know it's like anything you can do and and he was pretty shameless from what i recall about uh just 
trying out literally any trend, anything that seemed like it was having any sort of traction in the marketplace whatsoever. Like if it seemed like it could possibly sell, they would put out four books around it. And if it didn't work, it didn't oh, work. And then they'd change them to something else. Like, you know, like you were talking about, like, let's let's do cowboy romance. Okay, cowboy romance isn't working. Well, let's, you know, turn it into like a young men's adventure magazine, you know, and right. you know, we'll just see how it goes. So, yeah. Well, I mean, to, to, to the point, and actually to be sort of a segue, one of the comics I suggest we read actually was before all this. Uh, within the the last Captain America, which wasn't selling anymore. In 1949, the war was over yep. for you know four years. Superheroes were on the wane just in general, and so they're like, all right, well, what if we rebrand Captain America as a horror book? Yeah, which I feel is buck wild. <laughs> I've actually, it's insane. I've <laughs> I've read a slight argument that it's kind of in line with how Joe Simon and Jake Kirby were uh, approaching it. I think Tom Brevoort said that at one point. That's that's what he um, said in his article. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, but, I mean, look, I'm not going to argue Tom Brevoort. The guy knows his stuff. But it's just like, <laughs> it's still buck wild to me. Like Captain America's weird tales. Yeah. And it was it was like a two-issue experiment, right? And and the one issue had the last Captain America story in it. The last four right. Captain America. And the other one, was called Captain America's Weird Tales, and he doesn't even appear in it anywhere. Yeah, it's just a horror book. <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah. a straight-up horror yeah. book. Yeah. And the Captain America story, which I don't know if we should jump on Let's in. Let's do it, because sure. this thing yeah. is insane. It is so insane. The gist of the story is that the Red Skull is going to get his final revenge on Captain America by writing Captain America's name into Satan's Book of Sinners, so that he gets right. dragged down to hell uh, where Red Skull already is, where the Red yeah. Skull already is. And yeah. and then uh, basically Cap has to fight the Red Skull to save his own soul um, and, and make it back to uh, the land of the living. Um, and it's just like, I mean, it was full on like 70s D&D satanic panic stuff. It was amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you notice the word hell, the word sing in it at all yeah you're right i contribute that to editorial consultant gene thompson md psychiatrist (laughs) that's on top of the story yes (laughs) and i did some research and i found like uh so you guys remember in amazing fantasy 15 there was that letter that's like oh here's our new take on superheroes and blah blah um yeah it's kind of like that but in the 50s talking about what marvel comics was going to be which was essentially comics for good boys (laughs) <laughs> like, and they had hired editorial consultant Gene Thompson, MD psychiatrist. Which <laughs> I'm on a level with you guys, I have no evidence for this, but I don't know if that person exists. Maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. they did. <laughs> Maybe they did, but I would believe they did. Yeah, yeah, I would guess from all the shady business, they just invented that to get some people off their back or be able to continue selling what they're selling. Right. You know? Well, as I recall, that was because comics code started in 54 yeah seduction so and was published in 54 and then yeah. everyone scrambled to put the comics code together they tried a version of like a self-censorship board um, right. earlier a few years earlier but that didn't take and it didn't stop Wortham from publishing his book um right. so then yeah and, and like by the end of 55 ec comics was gone yeah but yeah you just reading the stories we read i mean let alone this insanity of cap in hell but uh or in <laughs> hockey sticks since they don't say hell but right. uh, it's like all of these there that's the most notice notable thing after all of the 60s comics we've been reading to just be like 
watching a hero nonchalantly kill everyone on a boat you know yeah. just <laughs> oh, yeah. uh it was it's sort of refreshing because of all of the all of the good boys stuff you know all the the well-behaved innocence of the 60s where you're like that is just or you know it's like gi joe just everybody got knocked out even sergeant fury right you know i'm pi- i'm picturing inglorious bastards basically um <laughs> i know i know that when they take that extra panel to say everybody got knocked out uh i <laughs> that's just not the case so it's just uh you know just some nazis getting actually killed is is pleasant um <laughs> we'll get into this a little bit more later but the young men issues we read which again is this offshoot of men magazine which mm-hmm. was pretty visceral were pretty brutal comics mm-hmm. like i was really surprised again giving these a deep read the captain america comics and the men's adventure stuff a little less so but uh, the ramita cap stuff is pretty pretty gnarly yeah but anyway so yeah so he's in hell uh <laughs> red skull has a size and one of the reasons I wanted you guys to read this was because I have I have like two main fan theories I want to sell. The one's about the Fantastic Four, which we'll get to later. Okay. But this one is, in the next appearance of Red Skull and Captain America, they're both convinced the other one is either dead or missing. So at the end of this comic, Cap essentially just accidentally pushes uh, Red Skull off a ledge, tries to save him, and then he thinks Red Skull's dead. Right. My headcanon fan theory is that Satan made them think the other one won. They go back to Earth, and so they kind of don't know that the other one exists for years. <laughs> <laughs> that works. That's kind of like the Doctor Doom getting tricked in Fantastic Four, where he thinks he defeated them, so he leaves them alone for most of yeah, the year. Yep. Yeah, exactly. But this time, <laughs> it's Satan's doing. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Because <laughs> otherwise, you're just like, what? Yeah. I, I haven't talked to anyone who's reading Captain America at a time, but I have to imagine you're just like, wait, hold on. Wait, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Right. Right. Yeah. This is gone for years. Yeah, it's wild. And we haven't got we've been reading the the sort of forties redos and um Oh but right, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Tales of Suspense. Uh, so that like Tales the, of Suspense the early, is covering Yeah, the early Captain yeah. America stories are kind of rewrites of some classic forties Captain America stories. So yeah. we see Nazi Red Skull. Um that's all we've seen so far in the sixties version of the marvel universe so uh they're just you know flashbacks of old cap history fighting nazi red skull there's no so just this was that this alone was a leap from what from what we've been reading there i'm like <laughs> uh but i love this whole dark you know supernatural thing that's yeah. just attached to them because of this it's just so bizarre it's also kind of interesting like like the echo that uh this version of the Red Skull has with like the Marvel Cinematic Universe Red Skull, like where he winds up by the time like Avengers Endgame rolls around where you know, oh, he, he is oh. like a Grim Reaper type character, you know, and I don't I, I maybe it was kind you know, maybe there was someone who was involved in the script writing who was like, you know, I'm going to do this really obscure callback that, you know, only the real fans are going to get. Um, right. But it, it seemed like it's like, wow, that actually totally is true in a way that I didn't expect with this comic that was published 70 years before um, the movie came out. so That's funny because, not to spoil Avengers Endgame, but whatever, it came out years ago. <laughs> <laughs> to push someone off a cliff in that yeah. part to get the gym. Yeah. Yep. And this, someone gets pushed off a cliff. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's so weird when you think about all the piracy and uh, story you know, recycling and things that were happening in this time uh, to think, 
now it's like super honorable to to be looking for cobbling together your new story that references these 90 things from scattered across 70 years <laughs> it's funny and, and i'm when i say people like i really do mean me i always read ff as the beginning of this marvel universe mm-hmm. but yeah. really it's sort of like the uh, uh, the end or like the escape of rocketing away from what the you know what comics sort of were and yeah. i thought they were all bad there's a lot of great comics at the time but it's just in terms of a marketplace, you know, it was just pretty grim. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And with the nine comics we read, I, I saw all of these, I mean, you, you can't help, but see all of these little uh, notes that obviously Stan found and, you know, recycled <laughs> to be uh part of the, the, the sort of silver age FF early Avengers, everything, mm-hmm. you know, there's just these, there's villains, there's names, there's, sometimes little plot devices and technologies. Uh, so it's just, it's super cool to see this proto Marvel universe. I love that term, Joe, you, when I think we were writing about it. It's well, just, and it's especially yeah. wild. And it's kind of why I, I consider FF a reboot because obviously like they, these comics don't play back in. I love comics. I've got a ton of comics. I love more comics. I've always been kind of like whatever on continuity. I always feel like as long as the characters are treated right and the, the character isn't portrayed, you can do you should just be able to do whatever you want. Because you know, if you try to make every little thing fit, it all breaks eventually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I will say it's interesting because these comics don't negate the comics that came before, but certainly the '60s stuff negates these '50s comics. Yes. Mm-hmm. And arguably, like, the late 40s comics, because, I mean, I don't know if it's right off the top of my head, but, and you've read it more recently than I have, but I'm pretty sure Avengers 4 says they disappeared during or shortly after World War II. Yeah, at the end of World War II. Yeah, it was, yeah. The, the war is Dude still happening. Zemo. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it went in 1945. Yeah. There's no way Cap could have gone to hell in 1949. Or, yeah, or <laughs> gone to, to Korea or all of the other things we've read. Right, yeah. yeah. And I know there was an explanation that, I haven't read these comics in a million years, but yeah, it was like a, a crazy college professor became Steve Rogers in the fifties. Yeah, they're, like he yeah. was, he was like a, a you know, <laughs> well, and, and we can get into what the nineteen fifties Captain America looks like, but he was basically like very right wing, like red baiting guy who he volunteers to be the new Captain America, and I think. I think his Bucky winds up becoming Nomad later on in the Marvel Universe. I think a lot of this is all tied up when, right. um, like, Roy Thomas in the early 70s, he, like, recreates. It's like, okay, in the Marvel Age of Comics, this is what was happening in the 40s um, and the 50s. And, you know, um, right. so he he takes bits and pieces of this and kind of remixes it and says, ta-da. Right. Although they're, these characters are referred to as Steve Rogers and Bucky Barnes. It's like... Right. I guess in the current continuity, they are not those guys. Nor is that the same Red Skull somehow. I don't know. I went down a wiki hole yeah. with this stuff, and <laughs> then I got lost, and I just had to hit the escape button. So, Well, so one thing I like about those those magazines I was talking about before, and I, I feel all the best comics, and actually it's, this is going to sound like a complete out-of-left-field reference, but why I love Spawn so much mm-hmm. is because Spawn, I feel, still seems like a comic that you don't want to be caught with. And by that, I mean, like, when I yeah. first read Spawn, I was in Catholic school, and I just remember thinking, like, oh, man, if I get caught with it, <laughs> I'm going to get busted. And I feel like it still is that comic, and I, I, I think that's an awesome thing. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the, the Martin Good magazines are at that times, like, 100. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. And, and and have that sort of aspect of it. And the young men comics certainly have that to a degree where you're talking about cap. It's, it's like a very different cap, you know? Yeah, yeah. Maybe this is a good place to um, – we can do a quick break here, and then when we come back, we can talk about – so what are these, you know, the, the characters, like how have they changed since the forties version? And so what do the human torch and the Submariner and Captain America look like in the 1950s version of Marvel and, and just kind of get into the, the guts of the thing. Good. Cool. Let's do it. Uh, we'll take one quick break. Um, and uh, when we get back, we'll jump into the 1950s. <laughs> We are talking with Joe Keating about the 1950s superhero resurrection, uh, the proto Marvel universe. Um, so we were just about to get into uh, discussing what our uh, Marvel superheroes look like in the 1950s. So it's basically the three major characters from the 40s were Captain America, Submariner and the Human Torch. And that's who Atlas Comics brings back um, in the 50s. And so what do these guys look like? Like what has changed? I think probably the most glaring example is Captain America. So maybe we can start there. Well, yeah, Cap, Cap is the one that is definitely the, the, the most different by, by a mile. Yeah. Um, I, I did dig in and again, uh, huge thanks to Tom Bree Wharton's comics blog uh, for hosting this. Uh, but he had uh, the last Human Torch story on there. And I believe he has the last Submariner story too. Mm-hmm. And that was basically an origin recap. Uh, in the present time, Professor Wharton died. And he was born Professor Horton, and then it's a re, it's an origin recap, and then that's it. Yeah, and then he hasn't he didn't appear again for, I believe, still like three or four years. I forget if it was as long as Cap, but still, Cap was the last one to be canceled. He he lasted yeah, the longest, barely hanging on a thread. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And then I forget how some Mariner wrapped up, and then as we talked about earlier, Cap wrapped up in the most wild <laughs> way. Period. I, I believe that the story was unaccredited. I, I forget it. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't find any uh, any writer or artist credits on it. Um, but I, I will say, definitely Captain America, at least as of 74, that Human Torch, was it Marvel Mystery Comics 92? Mm-hmm. Um, those all had the Marvel logos. Those were Marvel Comics in terms of it that had the Marvel comics logo with the gold leaf. So, you know, again, I think most people do the, do count the beginning of the Marvel universe in 1961. Sure. But truthfully, Marvel comics as a thing, not just a title existed. And then was, I mean, who knows what, what happened behind the scenes, but when it came back, it was, it was Atlas, which I believe at the time was mostly horror and sci-fi stuff as it was through mm-hmm. the fifties. Mm-hmm. I did see John Romita Sr.'s uh, signature on one of the Cap stories. I think he yeah. did all the Cap stories. Yeah. And it looks like, mm-hmm. yeah, all the art looks similar there. So that's who I would guess. Yeah. And yeah. and and Bill Everett wrote and drew all the Submariner stuff, I think, or, or almost all the Submariner stuff. And I think those were my favorite issues um, just because yeah. like he had just grown so much as a draftsman um, since like his, you know, the, the early days of doing Submariner and then coming back to it, he just had this just really wonderful detailed style. Um, I really love Bill Everett's uh, 1950s stuff. I, I haven't seen very much of it until I read these issues and um, they're great. Like the, yeah, the Submariner stuff was definitely for me far and away my favorite stuff. I think it's the most, uh, it looks the most like, uh, well, I mean, 
all of these look more like comic strips than comic books as we know them now. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to, to make that delineation <laughs> exactly. You know, especially when you think about the where comics were versus comic books were trash. Oh, just, yeah, that's how yeah. they're reviewed. Comic strips, that was where you wanted to be. That was classy. Yeah. Yep. I mean, Al Cap, <laughs> who did uh, uh, Lil Abner, mm-hmm. uh, he was a global celebrity. People knew him everywhere. Um, it was respectable. And in fact, Kirby's attempt to become a comic strip artist and it's and it crashing and burning is what directly leads to him doing Fantastic Four number one. Because, yeah. That's so, so cool. Long story short, he had a deal for doing the Sky Masters book that Wally Wood uh, inked. And um, basically had a bad deal with an editor and went to the trial and Jack Kirby lost and he owed, I think, $44,000. Oh, man. And so Stan Lee's in a position where he's like, my publishing company, my imprint is dying. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, depending on who you believe, and I tend to believe Kirby, Mm -hmm. seems to be the more reliable narrator. He's like, look, I'll do it. I got to, I got to draw at least five books a month to make this money back. Yeah. You know, because there's a romantic view and I'm not taking away from him at all, but a romantic view of, oh, Kirby was just so amazing that he was able to do five books at once, but it was like, he just had to. Oh no. Right. Yeah. He was, he was sleeping like four hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Dry. It was sleeping four yeah. hours a day. Cause you know, otherwise they're going to take his house. And he was definitely the provider. Like he was that, that guy, like I'm going to do anything possible to, to keep, you know, the family afloat. So. Yeah, and I don't want to suggest. I'm not suggesting that's the only reason why he was so prolific. I mean, I do think his upbringing was a huge part of that, and just yeah. he's a pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but he had an economic incentive with that yeah. lawsuit. Strong <laughs> economic incentive. But it's interesting to can then to go back and read these comics and see an attempt at a Marvel universe that just doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah, it, you know? and and so the format of these I thought was also really interesting. So you're seeing, you know, again, sort of this attempt to kind of do this proto Marvel universe, this reboot of their 1940s comics. Um, and so, you know, all the all the issues that we were reading had three or four stories in them. It reminded me a lot of the EC comics that I've read, where mm-hmm. you know you, you've got your like your four seven or eight page stories and then you've got like the two page text piece um you know and and that's it but like there's no story of even a dozen pages in any of these things um so you're you're having to like just churn out these really quick um you know just there's no character development i mean it's it's just like we have to begin carry it through and end this story in seven pages there's sometimes a twist at the end which you know, is, is the most basic twist possible. But again, you know, it, it's like, this is sort of the, you know, going back to Goodman being in a volume business. It's like, look, there's a, there's a way we do these things. There was a, I think a belief at the time that, uh, that their readership was entirely composed of young kids and that, uh, young kids would not buy a comic if it didn't have multiple stories in it. So this is the format we have to stick with. Um, just figure out a way to, you know, so, so the writing was very basic, you know, it's very one dimensional and, you know, there's nothing subtle in any of this stuff. Um, nothing complex, but, uh, I was amazed at, uh, how the artists were able to like bring some of this stuff to life and really elevate it. You know, I've talked about Bill Everett, um, but the John Romita, uh, Captain America stuff was amazing as well. It, It felt like, 
he was bringing a little bit of like a, a Kniff um, style to the stuff he was doing. I always used to wonder, it's like, how come they would let the, you know, the artists sign the pages, but you never knew who the writers were like the, you know, the writers got no, <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's very easy. It's like, you could have just, you didn't need a writer for these things, honestly. I mean, it was just right. like, it was a template and, you know, it was the artists who really, you know, either elevated it or, you know, just let it drift off into mediocrity. And I could see the template. Uh, that's the other thing that was so refreshing or just interesting reading these is just that it, that that template works really well the the basic pacing and plot you could tell it's just this this is the this is the pop song format you know you just start in the action explain the setup get to the end kids you're gonna love it and yeah. it's just and repeat uh something all throughout it we'll call it the chorus and uh but then to to understand how the difference between this and what stan was doing with fantastic four and how just the the little bits that really round the characters out and make them more solid uh and the stories too and and they're still they seem so simple when we started reading them after you know re- all of the comics we've read since the 70s on and uh but it's but now i can see where those the evolution from from where these 50s comics to to where fantastic four started is is huge it's just this big leap and you're right joe it's just born of this we've got nothing to lose and everything to lose it's like we have everything to lose and everything to gain in yeah. a sense yep. you know yeah. I mean? <laughs> it, it's yeah well, it, it's that like kind of the freedom of nowhere else to go you know it's like well yep. <laughs> this has to work because if it doesn't work we don't have a plan b so this has to work <laughs> um. <laughs> and, uh, and it's interesting to compare that to this this Marvel universe because, like you guys were saying, these were a more methodical attempt to be like, look, we want to sell Captain America. Well, how do you sell Captain America in you know nineteen fifty four three? Yeah. Um, yeah. So how, how do you, how do you make that work? And I and I and I feel that maybe part of why it, it didn't hold, like uh, especially read the first story. I think it was interesting in Marvel Comics number one, Professor Horton guy creates the human torch it's an android thinks okay well how can i profit off of this like let's make money right. and that human torch is like what i'm out of here <laughs> but in the first story in this new era and young man number 24 professor horton is uh portrayed as a really noble figure yeah and it's like it inspires human torch to do good yeah you know and also <laughs> there's a little side note in here that uh uh and it shows this that Human Torch killed Hitler. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's still in continuity. I don't know if but that's it shows canon him or not. burning Hitler alive. It's so good. Yeah. yeah. And like Hitler's <laughs> basically Hitler's last words are, "Don't let them know how I died. Tell them I shot myself." <laughs> yeah. Tell, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that's what I'm talking about how brutal these comics are. Yeah. Like it's it, it's weird mix of like 1950s propaganda, but with the brutality of the visceral the visceral aspect of those yeah. magazines yeah yeah you're definitely that's the first thing you notice is that they're you know like all the things johnny storm couldn't do the list you know th- from the comics code like throw uh, fireballs like, directly at like people. throw fireballs <laughs> like when human torch in this book like spits literally spits fire at someone in the first story i was reading and i'm like <laughs> oh this is awesome <laughs> yeah <laughs> I think Rob said this earlier, if I recall, but they're relentlessly killing everyone. Yeah. <laughs> the comics, oh, you know? yeah. 
And it's like from cover to cover. You're just like, wait, what? Like, all right. <laughs> There's a Namor story where they're they're dealing with like this alien race of of uh, aliens who can disguise themselves as sharks or people. And so his solution is to like capture them all in a giant net and drag them onto shore. Uh, oh man! Where it's like it's like okay, either you can project your consciousness back to your home planet, or you can die in the sun, and they die in the sun. And then there's kind of like a little footnote. He's like, I'm not actually sure they could project their consciousness back to their home world, but oh well, problem solved. <laughs> it's just, so, it's so much. I mean, some some of that's so much more real, but it's some it's also still just insane. Yeah, uh, you know, it's all bonkers. But just the, you know. It gets a little tiring or boring or I don't know what, but tired when just everybody's getting knocked out or this, you know, maybe turned into cows if you're a scroll. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's just so weird to have that. Uh, it, it it makes it harder to suspend disbelief, in, even in like a Larry Lieber story that's already just jumping around like crazy. Yeah. Um, when no one's hurt. Like there's the stakes are nothing a lot of the time. Yeah. Uh, and in, in these books, the, the stakes are insane in six pages, uh, like nuclear bombs going off and, you know, space race fights. And it's, in, it's crazy. It is. Well, how does human torch escape from the prison he's been put in? <laughs> the atomic bomb explodes. Yeah. Like it's an atomic bomb. Like, it's funny how much these books try to sell you essentially in three things. One is U.S. is the best. Two is uh, commies are the worst. <laughs> and three is like this strange reference for atomic energy. You know, there's I think it's a cap story that comes in later where the last panel is them essentially thanking the atomic bomb I, for existing. Joe, I was just yep. about to reference that. I've got the panel right in front of me, and it's it's Bucky and Cap looking at uh, an atomic explosion, and Bucky says, "Wow, what a sight." And Cap says, a glorious sight when it's on our side in the struggle for <laughs> world peace. <laughs> yeah. It's, wow. That's a solid piece of propaganda. And young men, uh, human Torah supposed and Torah were supposedly um, hidden away by or subdued by these gangsters who had yeah. this special uh, X, what XR chemical that could knock out the human torch and, and, and Make so he can't flame on. Right. But because the atomic bomb explodes, that gives Human Torch enough power where he can now be even more powerful than those before. Yeah. Yeah. And also, it turns out Toro has been working for the commies unwillingly because he was brainwashed, which I believe makes him the Golden Age Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah. That's yes, exactly. Wow. <laughs> and so, in Toro is a is a kid, He's not a, kid. a robot. Yes. He's just a kid who can catch on fire. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, uh, or an android. Well, yeah. wasn't he a kid who was like uh, Human Torch found him in a circus? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm looking at that panel right now. He like he basically he just sort of like lights his arm on fire and everybody freaks out and that's that's the extent of it. But Human Torch is like, hey, try to light your whole body on fire, and then <laughs> he does, and they go hang out. It's just really weird. That's on the same page where he kills Hitler. Yeah, it's just the summary of catching up on the human torch. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> All 
this I know is something we brought up earlier, but like it plants seeds for stuff that's going to come up again in the 60s, whether it's, you know, um, just names that wind up getting reused. Like there is a there's a supervillain in one of these stories called Electro. Uh, there's one who appears a couple of times called the Vulture. Um, so, you know, these names come back again. Um, and then you've got like some support- very different characters, completely different yeah. characters. Yeah, completely yeah. different. Completely. But then like you've got some Submariner characters who wind up coming back again, like uh, Namora shows up uh, here uh, and Dorma. Um, like these are these same characters both come back again in the 60s. Um, I think that's where the fan service really pays off, where you have folks who go back to, you know, go back to the roots or go back to earlier stories and just kind of pluck these obscure little story beats out and, and characters and bring them, you know, into the future. And, you know, again, don't have to over explain it or anything like that, but just like, it kind of just gives a sense of how big this world is. And, you know, and, and um, it just expands it in really interesting ways. I think um, also uh, something that's interesting, but in a completely different way is that uh, both Nemora and Dorma are, love interests of the submariner and also cousins of the submariner so there you go the one story that really stuck out at me was in uh, young men 27 uh the human torch story in that uh which um what's the name of it uh no one can stop the hypnotist um oh yeah and it's just so the whole story is basically um there's this extremely gory floating head like a zombie zombified head that just keeps appearing to people and like driving them insane um and they just keep calling it the dead face the dead face yeah, yeah. and yeah. it's i mean it's it's definitely something that would not have been code approved um you know in oh, the 60s no, 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 no. but it's like you know no, it's the stuff of nightmares just yeah <laughs> as if you were a kid yeah it outright references black magic you can't yep. do that in the code yep it outright references I mean, guys a blood sucking immortal you can't do that in the code you can't have vampires at all yep uh it references um, uh, it, uh they they're investigating his lair and they see a sarcophagus, which they call a mummy case, which was one of my favorite bits. Um, but you know, you couldn't you couldn't even mention that you know a mummy or any sort of like Walking Dead, like that was totally out. So yeah, they're, they're very edgy comics. Yeah, and it, it yeah, just kind of the it, sticks get that high. Yeah, too. It just you anything can happen. I'm like, the, instead of the torch or Toro, they're doing like the Human Torch move of flying around and making a wall of fire to contain some criminals, but they're making it smaller and smaller yeah. to make them fess, you know, confess something. And they call it like, a noose. Yeah, yeah, and they they may just burn them. Like that's where I'm like, the stakes are so crazy in these books, and like they might just get the information and let them light on fire. Yep. I because they do all kinds of weird, uh, what we would consider morally ambiguous things um yeah in these books than they do in the 60s books which have a lot of that too it's so this the political correctness lens is so different for each <laughs> of these eras well it, and and you can see not only like uh like joe you were saying that you know these are the gateway drugs to like the the men's magazines but you can tell what was selling on newsstands at the time too so it's like you know they're trying oh, to make yeah. a go of things with these superheroes but I mean, there's really strong horror elements to these. There's really strong crime elements to these. There's really strong science fiction elements to these. Um, there's not a lot of like what we would now recognize as traditional like superhero, supervillain battling. I mean, even when you've got sort of a, a costumed criminal, 
like the vulture or something like that. He's more of a like a mad scientist or a crime lord type than a you know I have superpowers also and we're gonna duke it out. Well, same with Red Skull. I mean, he was yeah. just he in, in this version he has an international criminal slash spy ring. Yep. Strange enough, I guess that is kind of exactly the vulture thing, which I think the vulture is a pretty cool character. I don't I don't remember if it, it's come it, he's come back. It's the same kind of thing. Obviously, I know there's a vulture in Spider Man. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, but. You know, it's a, it's a cool idea. I like the fact that the vulture forces all of his henchmen to get tattoos of his logo on them. Um, <laughs> yeah, and the logo does change from between like a couple issues, though. It went from the the vulture's claw to a vulture head. Well, that's like a, a that's a mask. brand refresh. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to keep it fresh. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I thought the illusions for the space race stuff were pretty interesting too. There's yeah, a, I think it's Young Men Twenty Eight. There's a cool Human Torch story. Uh, where you know the Reds are trying to get to the moon, and uh, uh, it's cool because at the end, you and Torch control the ship, and they get stopped by the like guardians of outer space. Where like, yeah. look, humans aren't ready for outer space yet. Like you guys just don't. You're not worthy. You need to learn humility. Like, and it's not a joke. This is what's said. You know, and you, know, you understand how to use atomic energy and all that stuff. Yep. Yeah, it's like it's a sort of a the Vulcans in the Star Trek universe. You know, like. Yeah, we're just you guys aren't ready for this yet. Yeah, which is a cool uh, but, contrast when you get the FF because then you know they're bestowed with these powers and essentially launch this universe. Yeah, yeah, and I, I thought it was interesting though those these aliens that stop them in space and say go back and tell them you know it did you can't go into space humans can't live there. Um, they they call themselves the guardians of space beings from the planets of the galaxy, and I was like, oh, we're. <laughs> that's like the line before the peoples of earth are not yet ready for space. So, uh, guardians of the galaxy almost just said itself in there, uh, which is really funny. I would love that version. I mean, if we're going to go into the crazy retconning things, you could, you know, make that a time travel with yeah. some version of the guardians, the actual guardians stopping them. Yeah. And it's, it's great as, as metaphor for the Marvel universe, you know, it's, it's, this is, you know, you can go into space when you're ready to go into space. And that's when the Marvel universe will begin. Um, and it was 1961. That's when we were ready to go into space. So what happened here? Uh, so we've got five issues of young men, um, we've got three issues of Captain America comics. Um, and then there were a few others uh, that we didn't read for this episode because um, there's only so many hours in the day, even if you are self-quarantining. Um, but uh, there are a couple issues of a mag called Men's Adventures. Um, there were uh, 10 issues of Submariner comics and, and three issues of Human Torch comics. Those series were rebooted. Um, uh, but you know, so all these were published in like 54, 55. So you've got about a little less than two dozen issues that came out across less than two years and then everything vanished. Um, so what happened? I, I, I do think it's just an indicative of what the era, you know, was the comics were in a pretty mm-hmm. brutal place in general, you know, yeah, the industry was collapsing. My understanding is that the reason why Atlas went away was because the thing was because the distributor collapsed. And that's why they went back to the Marvel comics, mm-hmm. you know, back in 1961. 
Um, and I, you know, I, I feel a little hoity-toity about it speaks to the alchemical qualities of mm-hmm. early Marvel, you know, is that you couldn't, it just, it wasn't just the characters, you needed the right mix of creators. And I feel like speaks to the difference between this 50s era reads as very like, okay, this is what we need to do and this is what's going to sell and this is, this is how things will work. And, you know, I've been working in comics for, gosh, 16, 15 years at this point. And if I've learned anything, it's always, it's more often than not, the stuff people say is not going to work, that's stuff that works. Even outside of comics, like one of my favorite movies is Shogun Assassin. And it, it was a foreign film. It's like several foreign films edited into one film, given a synth soundtrack and like a baby narration. And I describe it as it sounds awful, <laughs> but it's yep. so great, you know? <laughs> and, you know, uh, I do feel in comics, it's not just FF. Like uh, one of Marvel's most interesting periods of time were is it post-1999 when they declared bankruptcy. Yeah. And it was like, ugh. Graham Morrison guy's doing all right. Well, why don't we give him X-Men just see yeah. how that works? You know, it's like there's this young, there's this young writer. He's working on a couple of crime books. Can we just give him Spider-Man see what he does? Oh, Brian Michael Bennett is the ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. Right yeah. now. Uh, and then you get the same thing with, man, yeah, there's this guy, the Scottish writer, he's done a couple of issues with authority. He's uh, want to give him <laughs> Avengers, see what he does. Avengers doesn't sell really that great right now. Um, let's give him ultimate, like just do a call ultimate. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, you know, and I, I am a, um, a staunch advocate and apologetic defender of early 90s comics, especially mm-hmm. the work of Mr. Rob Liefeld and, uh, <laughs> you know, Tom McFarlane, Eric Larson, all of the early image guys. Sure, sure. And I do think it speaks to they put everything on the line to launch those books. You know, I feel it's too when you try to figure out the audience more than just create the thing you want to create. Yeah. I feel like it just doesn't work as well. You know, that's the big difference. I mean, of course, you know, look, with Fantastic Four, Goodman saw that Justice League came back and they were having success with that at National. So don't get me wrong. Of course, their monetary considerations and goals to hit. If it didn't sell, it wouldn't have continued. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole idea was to make it sell. But just the yeah, it feels less formulated. It feels like yeah. these, these stories have a formula to them. Yeah, you, you look at, at the early Fantastic Four issues, and it's like, you'd have to tell me that this was inspired by Justice League for me to make that connection, because this doesn't yeah. feel like, you know, the Avengers is is the Justice League ripoff. Um, right. Fantastic Four is, I mean, it, it's a just, it's kind of a, a remix of everything Kirby had done up until that point. And then, you know, Stan sprinkled some, magic dust on it and you know whatever he did he, he he you know the hype man came in and you know and really made you believe it um and it just right. you know it, it it was lightning in a bottle but it was also like it was really clearly a passion project for these guys like it, there was yeah. there was no market research behind this there was you know it was just like <laughs> this is the kind of thing that you know, if we're going to do something we're going to do something that we want to read and you know even to the point where you know we were talking about how you know, comics up until that point, a lot of them were divided up into multiple stories in an issue. Um, I learned recently that the whole reason that Fantastic Four number one has chapter breaks in it is to make it appear to the newsstand reader that it had multiple stories in it. But uh, it's Stan and Jack wanted to do a full issue story, and that's what they did. And and the way to get it through, um, it was to break it up into multiple chunks. Um, oh, man. Yeah. 
That that makes sense because if you there that was just sort of odd how they there's like a splash page with a chapter title that's you know drawn out like lettered out like the like the titles you'd see at the start of the yeah. book. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you, yeah, it, it didn't occur to me, but yeah, if you grab that off the newsstand and we're flipping through, you just assume it's just like the other comics or it's just, you know, four Captain America stories like these yeah. that we just read. Um, so you're like, Oh, that's fine. I, I can commit to this. Um, this instead of realizing it's, you know, the, the uh, whatever the full 30 minutes or something that you're right. going to be committing <laughs> yeah i mean it's, it's the same reason that you know strange tales starts out at you know three or four stories an issue and then slowly works its way down to two stories in an issue and then it winds up getting you know i think strange tales winds up becoming nick fury agent of shield or dr strange i can't remember which but you know like mm-hmm. like even their anthology books wind up you know consolidating down and eventually wind up getting turned into you know, into full length books. So, you know, it, it's, they're just pushing back against the format that everyone believed this is the way to do a comic book for kids. But, you know, they're yeah. like, we don't want to do that. Like, and and since we are putting everything into this, we got to do something that speaks to us. Uh, you know, if, if we're going to, if Jack Kirby is going to spend 90 hours a week at his drafting table, he's going to spend 90 hours a week doing something he actually cares about, um, you know, rather <laughs> than, you know, just pumping out more, you know, six page stories of, cowboys shooting guns out of each other's hands uh, yeah i love this this idea and i'm so one joe thank you because reading these has helped me uh, have a deeper appreciation for the 60s characters but also just see all of these threads that started so far before that i mean we're already talking about stuff that is 60 years old uh when we're <laughs> going through our normal uh comics and these understanding that these are just so informed by, by this and by the forties. Um, you know, I, I'm, I've just been finishing up, I think it was about six months ago, but there's a great invaders series out where it's present day Namor, uh, Hammond and, um, and cap are interacting because Namor, they're trying to basically, you know, stop Namor from one of his usual overthrowing all the land, the surface dwellers. But, uh, um, but they're doing all these flashbacks of like post-traumatic stress storylines and things that, that they all experienced when they were in war together. I was going to say, that's interesting. You know, uh, Glenn David Gold, the writer, he has an interesting piece about Captain America and his PTSD. If you compare Captain America stories, basically the pre, anything pre-61, arguably anything pre-1954, if I could compare how, you know, Kirby was approaching war stories before he went to war. Yes. And then mm-hmm. after it's very different because, yeah. you know, you have this young kid here, you know, all he knew were war stories and then in the propaganda. And then he saw all this horror in real life. Yeah. Um, I believe that's in the comic book apocalypse book of Kirby that came out in, from IDW. Um, but it's real interesting. To, and then, cause you know, when cap reappears, and Avengers four, he wakes up and he's having flashbacks and he's yeah. stuck in that, you know, he's mm-hmm. a, pre- he's a pretty broken guy. Yeah. He's a pretty broken guy in the sixties. Like, yeah. He's, he's, he's old and he's depressed and he's, you know, he feels like there's no place for him anywhere. He's haunted by, you know, uh, losing Bucky. I mean, he's damaged goods, which makes him so interesting. Makes him more interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah, Absolutely. But yeah, this is why I argue about FF being a reboot because 
these stories really do read like I guess you could say close equivalent. I can think of it's like the Dark Knight Returns, or really what's that? Um, uh, whatever happened to Man Tomorrow? That yeah. Alan Moore, Kurt Swang, George Perez story. Yep, yep. Like mm-hmm. th- these comics really read like that to me. Oh, like yeah, they don't really come right. to a definitive conclusion, but essentially, like this is like Namor retired. He came out of retirement for a while. Captain America disappeared for a while. They came back for a while. Yep. Uh, Human Torch was he was buried, and then he fought on for a while. Yeah. But then with FF, it's like you know they take the trick, which correct me if I'm wrong, but up until this point, Marvel had not done, which was take the. So I think it's the first instance that I can recall. I'm not counting Toro's with the Human Torch, but where Johnny Storm is sort of the reboot of Jim Hammond, you know, so young, I mean, like if yeah. can you imagine the press release coming out today where it's like, Oh, a young teenager now is the human torch not even an Android anymore. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, and now this thing that people complain about, but really it's kind of in Marvel's DNA to you know, become something new every once in a while. Yeah. You know, where yeah. DC up until very recently, I mean, even past, because like, you know, crisis was supposed to have infinite Earths in the eighties was supposed to be, crossover that rebooted the entire continuity because it was such a detailed continuity mm-hmm. but then even then it was so messy that it turned out they needed another one called zero hour yeah and just mm-hmm. every three years they don't reboot as much as they try to fix the continuity i mean yeah. even up until uh, look I'm, I'm gonna cop to it i haven't read a lot of dc books recently yeah but my understanding is that this doomsday clock watchman sequel thing yeah and whatever the latest crossover was like okay now this everything happened now yeah you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Whereas Marvel, it's like every six, well, arguably almost every other year, kind of reboot, which I don't think is such a bad thing. Like, I kind of, I get, I think the thing that's that can really frustrate readers that I've seen is when the character doesn't exist. Yeah. Like, I want to read Steve Rogers, Captain America. Okay, well, you can't do that because Steve Rogers is a old man or a Nazi now. Like, what? Like, <laughs> yeah. I just want to read Steve Rogers, Captain America stories. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, well, and don't get me wrong, a lot of amazing comics have come out of other characters taking over for characters like Jane Foster Thor under yeah. you know, I'm not I'm not taking away anything from those comics, but I do feel this thing of like, oh I love Wolverine. I read Wolverine in five years, Wolverine doing it. Wolverine is the old man and a teenager, like, what what the heck? But I feel like if you keep the characters true to themselves, yeah, the continuity cares. I really, I really and I it's not a popular opinion, but I'll tell you what. I read Eric Larson's Revenge of the Sinister Six once every few years. Yes. I don't remember what the heck was going on in any other comics at the time. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And it's funny because he would have to correct me on the story, but as far as, as I believe Eric told me, he wanted to reunite the new Fantastic Four from uh, Art Adams and Walt Simonson's run. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. was Spider-Man, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, and Hulk. Yep. And they were like, mm-hmm. uh, well, we can't, for whatever reason it is, I don't remember. Can't use Wolverine because this and that and the other thing were happening. And you're like, wait, what? Like, now I don't remember. I don't know what Wolverine comic was out in 1990. Right. Who cares? Right, right, right. You know? Uh, right. Like, what's, like, all my fav- all my favorite comics, like, All-Star Superman, great Superman story. Yes. It's its own continuity. It's its own thing, and it sells forever. Yep. I think there's mm-hmm. there's something there. Same with Dark Knight Returns. Yeah. Same with Watchmen until very recently. I think this speaks to a lot of success of the recent X-Men line with that House of X, uh, the Hickman stuff. I'm not, I'll admit, a little confusing, but for the most part, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. Like, yeah. the X-Men are on the island now. All right, fine. They can be reborn. Oh, okay, that explains all this stuff. And then there's Murray McTaggart who explains this. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Like, they got, they got out of the way to explain it to where you can just enjoy the comic featuring Wolverine. 
that's that's exactly like I so I I've also been catching up on the the Dawn of X House of X Powers of X stuff and and it's just like it's just great. I mean, these are characters that I have not been following for ten years probably, and it, it's nice to just dip back in there. I don't need to know what was happening over the last ten years. It's just like okay, there's you have to kind of like get used to the temperature of the water for a second, and then right. it's like okay. We've explained, like, here's the setting. Here's why these folks are back. Don't think too hard about it. Just sit back and enjoy the ride. And it's awesome. Right. Like, I'm really enjoying it. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's the most fun that X-Men have been for me since, I don't know, like, I'd probably have to go back to, like, last time when Warren Ellis had his run or or going back to when Morrison had his run. Like, you know, that was that was the last time I really was excited about the X-Men, so... Well, that was the great yeah. thing about those comics we talked about earlier, including the Morrison X-Men and the Ultimates books, where yeah. you're just like, all right, Peter Parker's a kid. Yep. All right, that's all, that's all I need to know. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, let's dig in. Or like the X-Men are mutants and they're wearing leather jackets now. That's all I need to know. Yeah, like, yeah. I think part of the thing we're getting at with talking about all of these eras of these heroes, too, is, uh, yeah, they, of course, rehash and reuse, but you start to run out of originality um, when it's there, you can take that character and all of the history of the character, it, you know, if you want and make something original um, and make something unique and make something interesting and creative. But, uh, but you know, to Joe's point at, at a certain point, these things just start to get where it's this huge empire. It, it, you're almost back to just keep putting it out and it'll keep making money. Um, although comics, of course, don't exactly make the money uh, that Marvel makes. Uh, <laughs> but to your point, yeah. the Marvel movies certainly do. Yeah. yeah. And the Marvel movies don't bog you down in 70, 80 years of continuity. No, they don't. They're just like, no. I mean, they're like, all right, Captain America is around. Like, he's yeah. going to throw a shield. Enjoy. Yep. And I'm yeah. like, really, you know, uh, Black Panther is the king of Wakanda. All right. Here you go. Here's yep. the story. It's all self-contained. It's everything you need to know. You can take these characters that have existed forever uh, forever to us since the forties and, and breathe fresh life into them. And, and we've seen it. I think Scott Snyder is a great example of this because like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo take over Batman. What do you need to know for their first issue of Batman? Mm -hmm. Bruce Wayne's Batman. That's all you need to know. Yeah. You don't know anything else. If you heard that Batman exists, you can read that comic. Yeah. And lo and behold, look at their, their great comics, but it's also they're Perennials now. Yep. Or Owl, that first Scott Snyder, Greg Apollo trade, gonna be in print forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think there's a lot to be said for that versus, you know, all oh, this Batman crossover where you, know, you got to read every other issue. And if you don't read this issue of Robin first, and you're not going to understand what's going on here. Like, I didn't even make my credentials very clear. Gentlemen, no one knows what my first comic is. It's always been in my life. There's pictures of me like a year old with comics around. I don't know where they came from. Uh, I love comics, but yeah. it's just an aspect of it I don't haven't cared about. And just to kind of bring everything full circle is why these comics didn't really work because yeah. super, the, the the fifties comics and by work I mean sell really. I actually. Like I said, the Captain America stories, especially, I thought were really a lot of fun and really cool. And the Bill Everett stuff was beautiful. And the Human Torch stories were awesome. In terms of existing, like, obviously, it only lasted a year. Um, whereas, you know, okay, there's uh, there's four people trying to get to space. 
and they're transformed. That's all they need to know? Okay, cool. Versus, oh, well, the Human Torch existed in 1930s, uh, 1939, and then he was buried by mobsters. It's like, you don't have to justify it. Just tell me the Human Torch is and we'll go. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which I will say in their defense, like, it takes two pages to catch you up, but it's still like, very confusing. You're like, well, what? It, yeah, and that's, I mean, it's two pages of a six-page story, you know, so right. you're taking a third right. of your story right there. The other thing also, I think, that maybe the reason why these didn't, uh, do as well as as they might have hoped was just that you know i although i enjoyed a lot of the stories in here i also feel like i don't need to read another dozen 1950s human torch stories you know like i feel like right. i i got the idea here you know they, they right. there is like a they feel very samey after a while you know because right. it, it's very formulaic it's contrast that to like when we're reading the fantastic four stories for the podcast Every week that I'm reading a new Fantastic Four issue, I'm excited to see what happens because we're still in the middle of the Lee Kirby run, you know, so it's like I know there's going to be some other like crazy nonsense happening and and they're just getting bigger and bolder. And, you know, like Galactus is going to be showing up, you know, in about six months and, you know, no one at the time knows that yet, but I know it and I know it's coming and I can't wait. So (laughs) Me too. Yeah, it's I go ahead. I was going to say, I'd also argue too, like, I don't think I've ever read Fantastic Four all in a row. Yeah. I think I've read all of Fantastic Four, the Kirby and, and, and Lee, or at least 99% of it. Yeah. But not 90% of it. But it's all been out of order. Like, I read F. I mean, I don't know. My first FF story of all time was actually that Art Adams, uh, Walter Simonson story. Oh, I love that story FF. so much. Yeah. And so I can only imagine what that experience is like reading all in a row. Yeah. And it speaks to the genius of it, where it's like, you know, you could pick up FF 49. You're like, all right, there's four people, explorers. There's this thing from outer space. Got it. I'm yeah. good. Yep. Again, I feel like that's why these may not have worked. Because if you were a kid and I read horror and uh, sci fi comics, oh, Alice has a new a superhero. Oh, come on, superhero. Oh, check that out. I gotta read like wait what these guys already existed so where are these other comics right you know yeah (laughs) and then you eventually do find somehow a copy at a flea market of Captain America Weird Tales forty seventy (laughs) four oh man I can't think of a better uh, note to wrap this up on Um, yeah (laughs) other than you know what the hell caps in hell. Um, uh, so, uh, Joe, thank you so much for making time to chat with us again. It's always a pleasure. Um, oh, and, yeah. uh, yeah, uh, we, we got to do this again sometime soon. Um, I, I feel like we could talk for another three hours, but you know, yeah, I, I don't know if, uh, if anyone except the three of us would listen and I'm getting dangerously sure. close to not Whatever. caring. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> let's just do a marathon. Maybe not this one, but look in the future. Let's just do a marathon, like Joe Rogan length episode. Where there you like go. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just talk about whatever. Cool. Uh, what do you have to lose? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's free entertainment. What are you complaining about that? You're getting too much of it. <laughs> well, pleasure is always mine guys. Like, again, I heard the idea for the podcast and I was like, these are guys that want to hang out with. <laughs> Sweet. Right now, we're going to hold you to that. Cool. All right. Uh, well, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, drop us a line at marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. You can always find us on the internet at marvelbythemonth.com. Uh, Facebook.com slash marvelbythemonth is where we live on there. Um, and uh, you can find us on Instagram at marvelbythemonth. And uh, 
thanks to Joe, I reactivated the Twitter account this week. Um, <laughs> and uh, we are at Marvel BTM there because Marvel by the month had one too many characters. Um, so that's pretty much it. Uh, until uh, next week uh, for Marvel by the month. My name's Brian Stratton. And I'm Rob Bell. And we'll see you next week for next month. Stay inside and read comics. Thank you.